good morning. Uh, for those of you who I do not know, my name is Ryan, and I have the honor of serving as the college pastor here at Northway, and I always count it a joy to be able to, to come and to study God's Word with you on a Sunday morning. So anxiety is on the rise in our culture. It's on the rise, and we see it especially within our younger generation. We see it in, in our college students and in, in teenagers. But it's not just isolated to our students. This is a, a people-wide thing, that anxiety and discontentment is on the rise um, as we go through this life. And, and it's not just a general people thing. This is something that I know that many of you are facing as well, that you have the sense of anxiety within your hearts, the sense of discontentment within your heart. And it comes in many ways, shapes, or forms. And, and for some of you, you battle it for a season, and then maybe you're finished with it. Uh, for some of you, it's, it's small. But for others of you, this is something that you battle regularly. That this is something that reoccurs and comes up throughout your life. This is something that affects many areas of your lives. And, and I, I know this in part because we did a poll last week on our social media, on Instagram and Facebook, asking, what are some of the anxieties that you are facing in your current season of life, and we got an overwhelming amount of responses. So many of you are battling some, some really significant things, and so I'm going to share some of what was said. I've consolidated some of them, and this isn't all of them by any means, but here's some of the things that I know that many of you are struggling with. Many centered around health and security, saying, I've got some health issue, I'm recovering from some illness, for some in injury. Um, I've got this, this anxiety within me that something's going to happen to me health-wise or just in general or it's going to happen to someone I love, someone I care about. There's anxiety around finances and job security. There's anxiety wondering if I'm in the right job and am I where I'm supposed to be or, or there's constant turnover in, in your workplace and so you're wondering, will you be next? Will you have a job? Will you be able to provide for your family, for your kids? Will you be able to even retire one day? Um, there's, there's anxiety surrounding children and, and our kids. And, and there's this anxiety, am I modeling the life that I'm supposed to model for my kids? Am I parenting them in a godly way? Will my children follow Jesus one day? I worry about their health and about their safety and maybe for some, and for many, actually, it's, it's not even the kids that you have, but it's the kids that you don't have. And there's this anxiety about, will I be able to even have kids as you battle infertility? For some, it's not their kids, but the grandkids. And will our grandchildren walk in the faith that we walk in? Um, for many people, it's relationships and, and dating um, it's, it's, will I find that spouse, that significant other? Will I find someone to share my life with and start a family? Will I be able to make wise decisions in my dating life that, that are good? Have I made the right decisions? For some, it's not just dating, though. It's just relationships in general. And there's just this anxiety of, of will I be alone? Will I have people around me? For some, it's just the broken relationships with friends, with family, with loved ones. Others, it's anxiety around regret over choices made or, or did I make the right choice in this situation? When I was caring for my parents, did, did I make the right choices there at the end? 
Or, or am I even in the right place right now? For many, it's, it's centered around, around their worth. And, and am I doing enough? Am I enough at home and at work? Am I going to be able to measure up to the expectations of those around me, to the expectations of my family? There's all this anxiety around our future, on what's going to happen. Will I be able to follow God's plan for my life? Will I be able to, to get a job after graduation? And there's just all this uncertainty around the future. And the list can go on and on and on. And this is just scratching the surface of the anxieties that we deal with on a regular basis. And in this time of year, this season, these anxieties can oftentimes be heightened. That as we look forward to, to Christmas and as we just came off of celebrating Thanksgiving, it is difficult to have gratitude in our hearts when there's discontentment and anxiety within our spirits. And so many people on some level deal with discontentment and anxiety. Many of you have faced or are facing or will face discontentment and anxiety in some way, shape, or form. And I'm mentioning both discontentment and anxiety because I think the two really are tied together, that they go hand in hand in many ways, that discontentment says that I need something to be complete. That if I don't have this thing, I will not be content. I will not be satisfied. And anxiety says the same thing. It's, it's saying, I need this thing to complete me. Or if I lose this thing, I will be incomplete. And so the two really go hand in hand. And there's things that we all struggle with in some way, shape, or form throughout our lives. And so we have to ask the question, what do we do with them? How are we to, to fight this anxiety? And I, I want to be clear, I, I know that we are both mind, body, and spirit, and that, that there's levels in which that there's some sometimes uh, chemical imbalances and, and that we need to seek medical professionals, and I think by all means we need to do that. But I also don't think we can neglect the spiritual side of things, that we have to address the spiritual side of things. And so what does the Bible have to, to say about it? And so we're going to be looking at that this morning, and we'll be in Philippians chapter 4. And so if you have your Bibles, you can go and get your Bibles out. Or if you have a message map, it's on there as well. And it's also on the YouVersion Bible app as well. But we're, we're reading Philippians chapter 4. And Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul while he was imprisoned in Rome. And he wrote it to a church that he started on his second ministry, uh, missionary journey, a church in Philippi. And he has a great love for this church. And so he's writing them to thank them for how they've supported them, how they've been with him. Uh, throughout his, his journey, and he writes them to warn them, to warn them against anything that might hinder their advancement of the gospel. And so that's what we're going to pick up in, in Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to read through these verses and stop and kind of talk through them. So we'll start off reading verses 4 through 7. Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So he begins by saying, hey, don't be anxious about anything. Anxiety has no place in your heart and in your minds. But instead, take your anxieties, take your cares, 
Take your concerns and lay them at the feet of God in prayer. Lay them at his feet with a heart of thanksgiving in prayer. Our college students have been studying 1 Peter this semester, and I love the way Peter puts it in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. He says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He says, you take your anxieties, you take your concerns, and you throw them at the feet of God. And you do this because he's powerful. He is the only being that is powerful enough to handle it. That this is the same God that speaks in galaxies form. The same God that breathes life into every created being and keeps and sustains their lives within his power and his sovereignty. That same God calls for you to cast your anxieties and concerns on him. There is absolutely nothing that we face that falls outside the scope of God's sovereignty. God's not twiddling his thumbs in heaven saying, oh, if, if Bill doesn't get this job, I, I just don't know what we're going to do here. Things might fall apart if he doesn't get it. No, God is all-powerful and he is sovereign over all things. And so because of his power, because of his might, we can cast our anxieties on him, but not just because he is powerful, but because he cares for us. How do we know this? Well, the key is at the end of verse 7 where it says, in Christ Jesus. There's this word all in the Old Testament, and the word, this Hebrew word is the word shalom. And shalom is, is to have peace, to have tranquility, to have harmony, to have completeness, that it's as it should be. Tim Mackey at the, the Bible Project uses the illustration of a rock that is without crack. It is complete. It is whole. Where he says, think of a wall, a wall with no gaps, a wall that is complete and finished and as it should be. That is the picture of shalom. And in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth and he created all things and he created mankind, he had a, a relationship with mankind. And everything was as it should be. All things were complete, they were in harmony, they were in peace, they were in shalom. Everything was as it should be. Man walked with God in perfect relationship, but it wouldn't last. Mankind rejected, self, or rejected the rule of God and chose self-rule. Rejected the commands of God and chose to go their own way. And in doing this, in choosing sin and sinning against God, they separated themselves from the creator and author of life itself. And in doing this, what Ephesians 2 will tell us is that mankind becomes dead in their sins and trespasses. That at once where they walked in perfect relationship with God, now there's a barrier between them and God, and that barrier is because of sin. There's this broken shalom, this void within their hearts, this discontentment within the heart of every man, this, this thirst, this hunger that needs to be quenched. Mankind desperately longs to be back at peace with their God, to have joy, to have harmony. Mankind desperately longs to eat for Eden, but there is no Eden without God. Mankind's sin has separated us from God. But God, so rich in mercy, powered by his great love, sought to make a way for us. He sought to redeem mankind, but there was still this sin issue. 
The price for sin had to be paid, and the price for sin is death. And so God himself took on flesh, and he stepped into his broken creation. Isaiah 9 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Prince of Shalom. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, steps down into his creation. He lives the perfect life that we could not live. And on this, in, this, in his life, he made his followers a promise. In John 14, 27, saying, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He says, hey, I have come, and I have come to bring you peace. And it's not the peace that comes from the world, because the peace of the world is not real peace at all. The peace from the world will, will satisfy your heart temporarily, but it's fleeting and it won't last. The peace from the world will give you this pseudo-security, but it's not true security at all. The peace that the world has to give is no peace at all. But I have come to give you true and ultimate peace. And so we say, okay, how? How does he do this? Because he, being innocent and blameless, went to the cross to pay the penalty of sin. And on the cross, Jesus died. And his lifeless body was placed in a tomb. And it was there But on the third day, God raised him to life in victory. Victory over sin, victory over death itself. It seemed as though hope was lost, but he secured victory on the cross through his resurrection. And he arises with a promise. The promise that for those who would believe and trust in Jesus, believing in who he is and what he did on the cross, believing that God raised him from the dead in victory and believing and trusting that it was done for them, their sin, their unrighteousness, their thing that is casting a barrier between them and God is then taken and placed on the cross of Christ. And it is crucified on the cross of Christ and God's wrath is poured out on it. But then Jesus' righteousness is taken and placed on them. That they are now justified in the eyes of God, their relationship restored. And what it tells us in Romans 5.1 is, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul's saying here. Is that in Christ, we have the peace of God. Our incompleteness is now complete. Our lack of peace is now Peace. There is contentment within our hearts. No longer is this unquenchable thirst and hunger within our hearts because we have drinking of the living water that is Christ. No longer is there this hunger within our hearts because we have taken of the bread of life and we have this contentment within our spirits and with our souls and within our hearts. No longer do we say, is there this anxiety that says, if I lose this, then I'll be incomplete or, or if I can't have that, I'll be incomplete because Christ has completed us. In him, we have true peace because he holds our future and he cares for us. And what Paul is going to tell us that this peace guards our hearts and our minds. That the peace of God guards us. The the word there, it means to protect by a military guard, either to prevent hostile invasion or to keep the inhabitants of a besieged city from flight. 
So it means to, to guard against attack or to guard against escape. And I think both really fit well here. What he's saying is the, the peace of God, it guards us against attack. It guards us against the attack of the enemy, the whispers of the enemy that will come and say, hey, you need this to be satisfied. Or, oh, if you lose this, then you are going to be incomplete. Or your future is uncertain. The, the enemy is going to cast attack after attack after attack on us. And the peace of God guards against the attacks of the enemy. But it also secures us safely within its peace. Uh, Robert Robinson wrote the hymn, Come Thou Fount. And there's a line in there that says, Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. See, what he knew is that the human heart, even after we've submitted our lives to Christ, we have the tendency to still wander. The tendency to go and chase the things of the world. And so he says, take my heart and bind it to yourself. Handcuff me to you. Keep me secure. Guard me within your presence and within your goodness, within your peace. Because I know my mind and heart has the tendency to wander. See, Paul tells us, hey, the peace of God will guard you. It will keep you. It prevents from attack. It keeps you within but I know myself, and I, I, I hear those words, I'm like, I get that, Paul, but I know I still have that tendency to wander. You, you say, this is how I can have peace, but I know my mind still chases and entertains the whispers of the enemy, and it sends me into a spiral, into this anxiety. And so Paul gives us practical steps on how to actively fight this anxiety, actively fight this discontentment within us. He tells us in verses 8 through 9, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. He says, think about these things. That phrase is to take into account, to weigh out, to, to deliberate and weigh the reasons. It says, take into account these things. And, and if you think about these things, the epitome of each of them is God himself. That what Paul is calling us to do is to set our minds on God and the things of God. Because truth is in the DNA of who God is. That is his essence. He is to be revered and he is to be honored. He is perfectly just and he punishes evil and wickedness. He is pure and he is holy. He is the beautiful creator in which the beautiful creation points to. He is commendable. He is excellent in every way. He is worthy of all praise and all honor and all glory forever and ever and ever. See, Paul is calling us to set our minds on God and his character and his nature. So how do we do this? We do this through his word. That God has preserved his character and nature within his word for us. And so when we face anxieties, one way we do this is we, we go to his word and say, hey, what does God's word say about this? If I'm feeling uncertain about my future, I go to the God's word and say, what does God's word say about my future? But I would say even, an even better way to do this 
is to regularly consume God's word. Pastor Robbie Gallaty says often to get into the word until the word gets into you. That we regularly spend time dwelling and meditating and reading God's word. And as his word gets into our hearts, it begins to mold and shape us and conform us into the image of Christ. And he begins to mold and shape our thinking. So it's no longer when anxiety and these whispers of the enemy come into our mind, I have to say, what does God say? My mind naturally goes there to combat these whispers, combat, combat these attacks. Because God's word is written within my heart, I have, I've hidden it within my heart. I've spent time knowing and believing God's word, and this will allow me to dwell on the promises of his character and to fill my minds with the truth of God. The, another way to do this, though, is to dwell on the many evidences of God's grace in your life and in creation. I, I remember there was a time in my life when I was battling discouragement. I was in kind of a dark season, and I was talking with a mentor of mine, and I'll never forget what he told me. We were, we were talking through it, and he says, Ryan, you just need to stop, and you need to pause, and you need to reflect on all the evidence of God's grace in your life, that you have so, so much to be thankful for, that you have Sarah and a family, and you have friends that all love and care for you, You've got a roof over your head. You have a job and you're able to provide for your family. You have hobbies that you can enjoy. You have health. You're young. You have all these things that are evidences of God's grace in your life. And you need to set your mind on these things. Because you know that you deserve nothing and that even the breath in your lungs is a gift from God. And he said, so set your mind on these things and allow them to encourage your heart and stir your heart to worship your good and gracious God. We also see the evidence of God's grace in creation. That as we look out in the beauty of, God, of God's creation, it, we see his image imprinted on it. That when we look at a calming sunset, we're reminded of the peace of God. When we, when we look and think on the, the repetition of day and night and its rhythm, we are reminded of God's faithfulness. When we look out into the night sky and we see its vastness, we're reminded of the power and majesty of God. When we look and we see how God provides for even the sparrow, it reminds us of his provision for, for us. And so as we look on his creation, it stirs our hearts to worship and praise him. It fills our minds with his character and with his nature. So, so putting it all together, what he's calling us to do, what Paul is saying is cast your anxieties on him. Any concern, care, anxiety that comes to your mind and heart, you throw it at the foot of the throne. And it's not always going to look pretty. Pastor Kevin is doing a series on, on the life of David, and, and David has many psalms where he is crying out to God. And I think so many people have this, this picture that we have to have this neat and tidied up uh, thing that we just kind of gently place at God's feet. And, and what Peter says in his is, no, you cast your anxieties on him. You throw them on him. You, in your tears, come before him saying, God, I feel this concern, this anxiousness. But then you remind yourself and say, God, I know you're in control. And that even if it's not working the way I thought it would work, I know that you are sovereign and you are powerful and I know that you care for me. And so I'm going to lay this at your feet and I'm going to trust you with it. 
We empty all of our cares on him. But we don't just empty our cares, we then fill our minds with the things of God. We fill our minds with the truth of his character and with the truth of his nature. And we dwell on them and we believe them. And as we do this, what he promises is that the peace of God will guard us and keep us. That the peace of God will be with us. And so what's the result from all this? What's, what's life look like? Paul's going to tell us in the last verses, verses 10 through 13. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What he says is when you have the peace of God that is with you and that is guarding you, you will have this deep sense of contentment in whatever you will face. That whether you have plenty or whether you hunger, whether you have abundance or whether you have need, you have a contentment deep within your spirit. So often we see Philippians 4.13 kind of misused and, and applied to things that it really isn't saying. It'll say like, you know, I can play hard and we can win this game because Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or we'll say, I, I can work hard and I can climb this corporate ladder, ladder and I can have success because Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can, I can be financially stable and have success because Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But, but that's not what Paul is saying here. If you look in the context, what Paul is saying is, in all things, I am content. Whatever may come, I have contentment because of the peace of God through Jesus who strengthens me. So what he's saying is, when, when you're not good enough to win the game, when you get let go from your job, when, when life throws bad circumstance after bad circumstance at you, you can have contentment because of Christ who gives you strength. And what he also says in, in verse 4, he, he talks about joy. He says, when you have the peace of God, there's this, this joy within you. Joy and rejoicing is used 16 different times in this letter. Because when we have Christ in our lives, and we have the peace of God and this deep sense of contentment, we have a deep, unshakable joy that no matter what may happen, even in my darkest and in times where I'm in great need, I have this deep joy within my heart. And we also have the sense of gentleness. In verse 5, it talks about the reasonableness, and that word can also be translated as gentleness. And and says that as a result of having the, the peace of God through Christ, the Christian will, will have a gentle nature about them. Think about the world. The, the world lives from a place of discontentment and anxiety. The world lives from a place of saying, I need this to be satisfied. Or if I don't have this, I won't be satisfied. Or I need this to, to feel security. I need this to have worth. And, and if you are just in my way, then I'm sorry. There's this level of desperation of I've got to have this, and it creates this harsh nature. It creates, uh, it creates a, a 
difficulty within them, within their spirit, a discontentment within them. I'm going to do whatever I can to, to get this security. But the Christian, the Christian lives and operates from a place of peace. The Christian lives and operates from a place of, of completeness. The Christian operates from, from lacking nothing in Christ. And so what that means is I have no desperation within me. And so I can be gentle and kind and meek and have that kind of disposition to those around me. Because in Christ, I have peace. Now, does this mean that the Christian's not to have care or concern? Does this mean that, that the Christian can't be concerned about losing loved ones or, or can't, can't work hard or can't, can't try to have success or, or can't be wise with finances? Does this mean that the Christian can't have a desire to have children or can't have a desire to be married or to do well in life? No. We, we're called to live wisely. We're called to love others. That it says that children are a gift from God. It's a good desire to have kids. It's it's a good desire to be married. It's a good, good thing for us to love and care for those around us and, and to work hard and be good stewards of our resources. But for the Christian, it comes from a place of true peace. And that peace surpasses all understanding. For a Christian, it comes from the existence of peace within their hearts. I, ha- I had a professor this semester actually say in regards to anxiety that anxiety is care and concern that exist absent from the joy and peace of God. See, the Christian still has cares and still has concerns, but these cares and concerns coexist with the deep-rooted joy and peace of God that cannot be taken away. A peace that surpasses all understanding, that doesn't make sense to the world. And so I care for my job. As a Christian, I care for my job, trusting and believing that even if I were to lose it, Even if I were to financially lack, I still have everything I need in Christ. I still have the desire to be married. I have the desire to find love one day. But I hold this desire with open hands, knowing that in Christ, that I have true love that has died for me. I I have the the love and care for my kids. And and I I work hard to to keep them safe and, and to help them succeed but I care for them trusting that God loves them more than even I do. And that in him, he is sovereign over everything and he is working for good and for his glory. And that even in the darkest, most difficult seasons, I can trust in his sovereignty. I have a desire to to have children, but I know that even if we face infertility, I know that God still wants to use me for his glorious plan and in him, I am complete. I don't want to fall ill or go through health problems or have health issues, but what I know and believe is that this body is just a tent. It is not my forever home, and that there will be a day where I'll receive a fully glorified and resurrected body that is unmarred from any sin and and from disease and death, and it cannot be taken away. Jesus tells his disciples in John 16, 33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. See, the Christian knows that even when they face all kinds of tribulation, even if they experience the the worst things that could possibly happen in this life, they hold on to a day where he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. 
Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. See, the Christian rests in the firm grip of the right hand of God, and nothing can take you from his hands. The Christian knows that even in this life when they face trouble, that in Jesus they can have a peace that surpasses all understanding. And in all things, they can be content through Christ who gives them strength. They rest in the God of peace through the Prince of Peace. So just just wrapping it up for us, we need to understand that there is no true peace apart from Jesus. That, That mankind has a void in their hearts. And that apart from Jesus, there's this gap in your law and there's this longing to have that that thirst quenched. And you will try to to fill it with all these different things, but you need to understand that there is nothing apart from Jesus that can quench the thirst of your hearts, that can satisfy the longing and the discontentment within your hearts. But what you need to understand is that the peace of Jesus is, is here freely for you. That if you would believe and trust in who he is, acknowledging that you are a sinner in desperate need for a savior, believing and trusting that he came and he died, believing and trusting that God raised him from the dead and that it was done on your behalf, then your sins are taken and placed on the cross of Christ and crucified on his cross. And his righteousness is placed on you. And you are back in right relationship with God. You are justified before the eyes of God. And in Jesus, you have the peace that surpasses all understanding. And if you haven't done that, I hope and I pray that you'll do that this morning. For, for many of you, you, you're followers of Jesus. But what, what Jesus tells Martha in the Gospel of John is that you are anxious and troubled about many things. That your heart has wandered to the, the things of the world and your mind is, is entertaining the whispers of the enemy and it sends you into an anxious spiral and it's affecting every area of your life. You need to understand that anxiety has no place in your life and heart. Pastor Ben Stewart asked the question, what does your life say about the peace you have and the God who gives it? The world is unimpressed when we proclaim to know the Prince of Peace, yet live in crippling stress. You proclaim the peace of God, yet your life communicates that he is not trustworthy. Christian, what is your life communicating about the peace of God that you ascribe to and hold to? I want to encourage you to remember what's been done for you. Remember the peace that was secured for you on the cross of Christ. Cast your anxieties and your cares before God, knowing that he is powerful enough to handle them and knowing that he is loving enough to work them for your good. Set your mind on the things of God, filling your mind and your heart with his truths that are expressed to us in scripture. Forsake the lies of the enemy. Believe that Jesus has filled the gaps of your heart and in him there is true peace. Be filled and guarded by the peace of God through Christ.